they start to get conditioned to avoid losing, avoid losing. And when you fast forward that, right, that can lead to some very unhealthy long-term behaviors. Because I think when we really stop and take the emotion out of it and think about sport, well, we get better when we're in that zone of challenge, right? That zone of proximal development. And that comes with winning and losing, not winning all the time or losing all the time. And so... You're about to listen to an interview for EWS, intending to provide educational information from various domains in psychology, physical exercise or motor learning, an experienced professional joins in the conversation with our funnel, assisting EWS mission of building a mindset and methodology that can optimize both sports performance and mental health. Hope you enjoy and for that I leave you with your host Gonçalo Marques. Hi, dear listener. I'm excited to present you today's conversation that goes essentially for coaches and parents. Our guest today has a background as an athlete and a coach, former collegiate and professional soccer player, may I say, and has coached for over 20 years on the youth, high school and college levels. This man is an internationally known TEDx speaker. You can check out this talk in the link I provide in the description below on this episode. And he is the founder of Changing the Game Project, which started back in 2012 with the mission to put the play back into quote-unquote play ball by providing parents and coaches with the information and resources they need to make sports a healthy, positive and rewarding experience for their children. Wait, just a useful reminder. We know you're investing precious time here. So you can also efficiently work your listening experience by checking the timestamps at the end of these episode show notes. You can click over them to jump directly to the pieces that you find most interesting to your needs and wishes. As for my wish, your review and subscription to EWS Podcast. By doing so, we will be able to offer the listeners more quality content regularly to improve the mental game in sports and work. Until you decide on that, keep enjoying this. Changing the game educates for the values and enjoyment to be partaken in sporting contexts and consults with organizations such as the US Olympic Committee and many of the sport governing bodies in the US. As well, in clubs and schools all over the place. He is the author of two number one best-selling books. One is called Changing the Game, a parent's guide to raising happy, high-performing athletes and giving youth sports back to our kids. And the other, Every Moment Matters, how the world's best coaches inspire their athletes and build championship teams. And does something else that I love, which is to write for a blog about youth sports, one that, from time to time, I go there to check it out. Again, he has consulted with US Olympic Committee, US Soccer, USA Football, US Lacrosse, USA Swimming, Ireland Rugby, and more. Beyond all this, he makes part of the National Advisory Board for the Positive Coaching Alliance and the National Association for Physical Literacy. And if that wasn't enough... He is the host of a brilliant podcast 
called The Way of Champions, where he interviews experts in the realm of sports, talking mainly about coaching athletes and performance matters. Not to mention that this is one of the top-rated podcasts in the world for coaches. This is a podcast with more than 200 episodes. I've listened to several ones he produced there alongside with two uber-interesting colleagues as co-hosts, and I appreciate very much the dynamics they build there in interviewing those experts. Certainly something I recommend to become more knowledgeable at many levels to all the audience EWS targets, athletes, coaches and parents. So much so that we will add some of those episodes to our EWS curated playlists that you can find on www.flow.page/ews. When speaking, this man brings a wealth of practical, hands-on knowledge gathered through years of working with players and their families on sports-specific development matters, fitness and nutrition, college recruiting, and most importantly, training high-performing athletes by creating a player-centered environment. I met his stance and main approaches by listening to him being interviewed by the renowned sports psychologist Dan Abrams at the Sports Psych Show, and became very interested in having a chat with him himself. So for this EWS episode, we could have gone for several directions, but we focused mainly on parents and on coaching. We went on to talk about some common displaced behaviors and intentions from parents to their children. You will know what I mean exactly by this in a moment. And talked about forms of providing good feedback and commenting on performances, self-awareness, learning environments, about giving strict orders and about toxicity, a kind of toxicity in teaching, and chatted on the importance of making all team members feel valued. Beyond all these topics that I find hard to condense on this intro, I guess we reinforced some major principles EWS keeps transmitting, like the value of having a process orientation towards one's goals, dealing with pressure and expectations, and more. After this extensive layout of my guest today for EWS, I can say no more and no less from this guy that revolutionizes the sporting environments where he gets to be in, with healthy principles and humanistic approach, and what, in my opinion, should be standard practices. Again, I love the way that he also changes the game with awesome content and guests at his podcast, Way of Champions. And so it's an honor to have him here now for a conversation on how to efficiently work sport, essentially for parents and coaches of youngsters. So welcome, John O'Sullivan. Aha, thanks for having me here. Nine hours apart in the world, but uh, on the same call. <laughs> yeah, great, great opportunity. Thank you a lot for having here for a conversation to efficiently work sport and uh, I would like to start for you to get a little taste uh, of your work of your path through these environments sporting environments and so first of all let me say landing from 
your TED talk that I love watching you speak. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would like to know what led you on this path and what makes you continue on this path. Well, still to this day, right? I'm almost 50 years, it'll be 50 this year. And I probably started coaching my first camps and helping out with teams when I was 18 or 19 years old. And, um, I've, I've so I've been coaching ever since, right? It's almost 30 years now. And it's such a, uh, an interesting journey. And one of the things that I've discovered in researching and writing a couple of books and podcasts is that somewhere along that journey, um, I, I made quite a few mistakes. And when I made those mistakes, I eventually burnt out. I, I just I lost sight of my purpose. I lost sight of why I was coaching of what I was doing. And I walked away and I didn't know what I was going to do. And after a couple months, I realized I, I had this passion and I think I had some knowledge of what's the pathway for, for children to perform their very best in sports. And so I wrote the book, Changing the Game. And this was back in, I probably put pen to paper in 2012. And then I realized pretty quickly, I picked up a publisher and I figured out that it's actually not that hard to write a book. It's really hard to sell a book. And so I, so the publisher was like, well, you should start a blog. And I liked writing. So I started this blog at Changing the Game Project. And that's really what took off. That's what led to the TED Talk. That's what led mm -hmm. to so much more. But it was just this time where I think a lot of people were looking for an alternative to the status quo in sports right? High pressure, high commitment, early specialization, all these sort of things. And that helped me refine my passion as well. And now I still write and speak and travel and do all those things. But you know, my favorite parts of the week are getting out there with a group of 13-year-old boys that I coach and coach in soccer uh, or football a couple nights a week, right? Um, because that really keeps you connected to everything that I'm doing as a parent, as a coach, um, as someone trying to uh, create an experience for children that's not transactional, but like transformational, that they look forward to every night, that they can't wait to get out there, that makes them better on the field, but also makes them better people. And, and that's really what I've discovered is, is my purpose these days. And I just get to dabble in it in many different uh, forms. Yeah, so great. I I hope we will delve deeper on those characteristics and those approaches you have as a coach, as a parent with your youngsters. Uh, but um, also this will also be uh, a, an interview, a conversation sensitive to parents, parents of uh, sport, uh, sports youngsters and um I would like to start with uh, regarding winning and losing because many times it's the the main focus uh, for for teams, for athletes, for parents asking for how the game went today or the practice went today, uh, the measures of success and these are delicate topics. So regarding winning and losing and regarding the messages that we often hear parents say, let's say after a match, um what are some common messages we see from parents to children after a match day in your experience? And without yet uh, giving some judgment of values, but uh, let's expose them a little bit. Yeah, well, first of all, I think children are our greatest teachers, right? And mm -hmm. if we look at what children do, 
in sport, in school, at recess, when they play sport. They look around at the teams and try to make an even team so that the game is as competitive as possible. They don't stack the team at recess so that we win 9 nothing because that's not fun, right? They, they make the teams even. And then if you ask children, would you rather uh, win all your games by eight or nine goals or win 3-2 this weekend and then lose 2-1 to one next weekend, they would say, I'd rather win this weekend than lose next weekend because that's going to be fun. That's competitive. That's exciting. So it's only when the adults come in that we start looking at winning as something that has to be achieved no matter what and losing as something that has to be avoided no matter what. And when you start imposing those adult beliefs on children, when young children start realizing how many or how much this result matters to dad or to mom, when they go to get to that point mentally where they see mom or dad treats me differently, whether we lose or win, that's when kids start to cheat, <laughs> right? Because they're like, well, I, I don't want dad to be mad at me. I don't want him to yell at me after the game. I don't want him to berate me in the car yeah. on the way home. And so I think they start to get conditioned and the they start to get conditioned to, to avoid losing, avoid losing. And when you fast forward that, right, that can lead to some very unhealthy long term behaviors, because I think when we really stop and take the emotion out of it and think about sport, well, we get better when we're in that zone of challenge, right, that zone of proximal development. And that comes with winning and losing, not winning all the time or losing all the time. And so the goal, every time your kids step on the field, the goal is to win, right? Like you want them to compete hard and, and be focused and work really hard. The goal is to win. But the purpose of sport, it's much bigger than that, right? And that's where we, we, we lose sight of the purpose in pursuit of the goal. And that's when I think most of our problems happen from a coaching perspective, from a parent perspective, and, and then trickling down to the behavior of the children. Yeah, so that's amazing in a, in a negative way, that transformation of having a natural, uh, pleasurable approach to the game and having fun and doing our best uh, despite of the results that come ahead, that it's fine, okay, it's maybe uh, good feelings uh, come from winning and bad feelings may come from losing that's natural also but uh, we let's be more concrete on these transformation of uh, messages that may come from parents so uh, what are the metrics that get exchanged here well you know there's some really interesting research uh, out of australia i believe where you know, they've interviewed children and and parents and what they really found is that most of the negative interactions that happen after a game, in the car, whatever it is, are a result of the parents not taking into account the state of mind of their child. So they just lost a game and they're already upset. What are you going to say to them that's going to help them learn from that versus continue to berate them for the shot they missed or or the play they didn't make or their attitude or or their teammate that you don't think is very good all those things that doesn't help 
And when they ask children, you know, what's your worst memory of sport? Oftentimes it's that ride home, right? The ride home after the game. That's what made me eventually quit because I was sick and tired of my mom or my dad, usually dad, being angry at me all the time. And where this manifests itself and where I've seen it as a coach is you're coaching a, a young athlete and there's 10 minutes to go in your match and they're not having a good match and the team is losing and you see them start to look to the sideline. You see their dad across the field store, you know, walking up and down the sideline and smoke coming out of his ears. And you see that kid's performance just decline more and more and more because they're already thinking about th that ride home after. And so what I always encourage parents to do is, is this. Number one, let the ride home belong to your kids. If they ask about the game, hey, how do you think I did today? Then by all means, give them some good feedback. If you're, if you're so upset, if you're so angry at them as a parent for whatever reason, then you, then, and you can't give them anything constructive, then perhaps what you should say is, you know what, this is probably not a great time to talk about this right now. But that's such a great up, move. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, I but, imagine many yeah, times ahead. parents in those circumstances may feel such an urge to intervene and, uh, Let's not even just say for that sake of berating on them or criticizing some play or whatever, but just to get support, sometimes that move may get not that good as expected from the dad in this case. And so it's a, such a great move, as you've said, of uh, putting our needs and uh, expectations of our child uh, before our own and that's mm -hmm. the the main point here I guess uh, before all of this conversation yeah I, I agree and I think that is the here's what I do with my own children right and I have two kids one of them as soon as we get in the car after the game she'll ask me how do you think I did my son has never once asked me that question he doesn't want to talk about it then, right? And there's times when all I want to do is talk about it and I have to be the adult, right? I have to just say nothing until he brings it up. And because when he brings it up, now he's ready to learn, right? Now he's ready to talk. Um, but whenever that conversation happens, whenever they ask me whether I think they just played the best game I've ever seen them play or they, they were poor or their team was poor, I always do the same thing. I always say, well, what do you think went well today? What do you think didn't go so well? Or what do you think needs needs work? And then the third thing is, well, what, what, what should we work on in practice this week that'll help you get better at whatever didn't go well? And so it, it becomes this very even-handed conversation of, because even if they had a bad game, they did something well. And sure. even if they had a great game, there's something that they can learn. And and so I want to find that that balance between what went well, what needs work, where do we go next? And and that's just a great way to I, I think for parents to always have that conversation, whether it happens in the car right after the game because your uh -huh. child brings it up, or whether it happens at the dinner table that night, or whether it happens the next morning at breakfast, whenever it is. Yeah. So great. And uh, I would like to put this into 
pieces. I would like to go into these more further, but as we go on now, uh, I know that was um, a predicament for um, for you to start the Changing the Game project. And as you've said somewhere, um, this regards to how a moment off the field can have such a detrimental effect on it. Yet, when you think about it, the toxicity of the ride home makes perfect sense. And mm -hmm. uh, as the conversation flowed already until now, I guess it's understandable for our listeners how can these approaches and uh, initiatives right away from parents to the children can be bad. But can you add some more on the why this can be detrimental? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, if your child thinks that your love of them is dependent upon something like a sporting outcome, something that is um, beyond their control, then that's a very dangerous thing. Because you know what? A sporting outcome is beyond their control. Because you know they might control their effort and their preparation and their sleep and what they ate and all that. But they don't control the opponent. They don't control the referee. They don't control the weather. And and so if you if a child starts trying to control the uncontrollables, then they start losing confidence because you you feel like everything's spinning out of your way. The referee just made uh, you know four bad calls in a row, and then you start putting all your focus on the things that you have no control over versus the things that you do. So a child who thinks that their parents' love is dependent upon wins and losses becomes very, you know, externally focused. They become very outcome focused. And what we know about uh, performance from the researcher Carol Dweck from Stanford is that when you focus only on outcomes, you develop what's called a fixed mindset. My ability is fixed. I'm either good or I'm not, right? I failed my math test. I must not be good at math. I lost the, my spot on the soccer team. I'm just not good at soccer. Versus what she calls a growth mindset, which is a focus on the process, right? And the process of getting better. So I failed my math test. I need to study. I lost my starting spot. I need to practice. And I and can develop. Yeah, I can develop. I can get better. Uh, I think her TED Talk is called The Power of Yet. I'm not good at this yet, right? And so this is the these are the moments where as a parent, if we can consistently turn our children's focus back onto the journey, the process, that is so helpful. But when we are focused on winning and losing, when we have negative interactions whenever they lose or they don't play well, we turn the focus to outcomes. Yeah. And there's a lot of research that says that's not good long term. Yeah, and let me add there, because such little, seemingly little things uh, as the word yet can have such a powerful impact, because on two ways, uh, we can say that I'm not shooting well yet, because I can be uh, blaming myself, being in a negative mindset or fixed mindset there, but there's a, a glimpse of hope by saying yet at the final of the phrase, because there's it opens the space of uh, improving, of training more uh, intelligently next time. And yeah. also when we are 
putting the negatives, whether as a parent to the child, which is awful, or the child himself, because many times this becomes uh, internal dialogue that is uh, sp spiraling down. But um, yeah, just putting in the word yet and starting to enunciate with the discovery guidance with the parents on what he can do empowering them that's such a great thing because here we want to transform from that place where the dad comes with the harsh guidance and indoctrinating and blaming the coach or whatever to a place where he is more open where he with his well-intentioned manners becomes more uh, curious and inquisitive with the child don't you yeah. think? Can I, yeah. Can, let me add a piece. And, and yeah, this is ahead. just my piece of advice that I've given to myself recently. Um, to any parent who's so super, super frustrated with your kid's sport development and you don't think they're getting get, getting better. What I ask you is this. When's the last time you learned a new skill? Right. When's the last time you learned a new skill? And how about you go out and do it? Right. And, and, and remember what that journey was like, because children are on this journey every day. They're trying to learn in sport. They're trying to learn in school. They're, they're, and, and it's hard. And I, I just, I, I just, I live in the mountains in Oregon. And so I decided to pick up a new type of skiing this year. Right. And I'd never done it before. And I'm 50 years old and it's, I feel very uncoordinated and I'm falling and it's, it's hard and I'm exhausted after. And it's a great reminder of what it's like to, to do something new, right? I'm a very experienced person in the mountains with all types of downhill skiing and snowboarding and all that. But I had never tried, you know, Nordic skiing or like cross-country skiing that you see in the Olympics before. And so I decided to learn a new skill. So learn a new skill. Learn the guitar, right? And, and, and remember what it's, how hard it is to learn a new skill that's difficult to learn. And then maybe you'll be a little more patient with your son or your daughter who's trying to learn a new skill too. And I guess the main point here with that example is to make them more empathetic to the situation at hand because failure may very well come in and with that may lead to shame. But here we are trying to counteract that shame process because failure is normal and we could start here a big conversation around failure and how why failure... Uh, is not inherently bad it might well be good and full of potentials for for growth so yeah, yeah that's much that much is it so yeah well i think i mean you know failure as long as failure is not so big that it's final right we don't want failure to be uh you know you don't want to fail at uh base jumping that would be bad right you don't want to fail at skydiving because um that you know, then you're dead, right? But failure in terms of struggle is a good thing. That's how we learn, right? That's when we when we are totally present, totally focused, struggling. So, so here's an example. Last night, I was coaching my team and we were really struggling in an activity, right? In a, in a little rondo that we were playing. And we were struggling to string together passes to do the right thing to achieve the purpose of the game. And so part of me as a coach wanted to make it easier for the team with the ball, right? I wanted to take out a defender and, and have them see more success. 
But then I looked at it and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let this run for a while because they need, right? The game is a struggle, right? The game, there's a lot of uh, failure. This doesn't turn out. So if we're only doing this two times out of 10 right now, well, in the game, we're probably doing it zero times out of 10. So at least we're having a little bit of success and, and they're good enough, right? If I take away this defender, it's going to be too easy. So I think the art of coaching is saying, how do I find the right level of struggle so that it's not so hard that they're never successful and they get discouraged, but it's not so easy that they don't really learn. And so I stuck with an activity. In other words, yeah. the optimal point of potential growth? Exactly. Exactly. Right. The zone of proximal development, as they call it in education. And so, yeah, that's what we're looking for. And as a parent, that's what I'm looking for with my with my children as well. You know, mm. my 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 kids speak Spanish mm. uh, because they are part of an immersion program their whole time in school. Now they're in high school. If I put them in Spanish one. Right. Great. They get an A, but there'd be no struggle. There'd be no learning. They learned that when they were when they were seven. Right. So so I don't want to put them in Spanish one. I'd rather say go learn French. And and um, th these are the things that I think that makes sense in that arena. Well, we want that in sport. And that's such a, another great example to remind parents that I guess nowadays we encounter more impatient uh, and demanding parents for the the quick and the. Uh, little successes all the time for their children, whether in school, um, many times criticizing the teacher for having these tests very hard and nobody got uh, a B plus or whatever. And uh, I guess it's such a great reminder again to address that struggle is important and without that we cannot improve and uh, accept that fact. And uh, I, I, I will have to admit, we, I had a conversation with a friend of mine from my psychology course. Uh, mm -hmm. He he went through another master's degree than other than mine. But uh, he we were talking about this um, this tendency of parents to want their kids to be successful and how. Many times that comes from frustrated dreams from parents. And uh, this rolled on uh, where we talked about the tendency of enforcing our kids to do something, to be good at something, and the worst of it all, to enjoy something. So to oblige to do some practices that will lead to uh, oftentimes to creating a false self and uh, where the real one, the natural approach in this in this example, let's say, uh, a natural pr pleasure that uh, emerged for soccer in the child uh, might get distorted and uh, the there's this created false self that uh, it's it's not good for for the child and might yeah. lead to not enjoying that much with no enjoyment, no good development processes and more abandonment, I guess. So this yeah. is powerful stuff that touches me a lot. Yeah. And, uh, there, you know, when I wrote my first book, changing the game, 
I came across this research and I can't find it for the life of me anymore. Um, I think it was out of Holland, uh, the Netherlands and it was around this idea of um, parents who had unfulfilled dreams in sport, right? I didn't make it because I got injured. If I only practiced more, were more likely to live vicariously through their own children's sporting performance. So if you felt that you fell short, you're more likely to live vicariously through your kids. And uh, that's not necessarily a healthy thing because it's their life, not yours. It's their dreams, not yours. And parents who felt like, no, you know, someone who was an international level player or a professional athlete, you know, they're like, I've been there. I, I've done it. I know how hard it is, right? I know how how really difficult it is and how much I gave up to be good. So you know what, maybe my kid does it, maybe they don't. But you know, how they play in basketball is not going to affect, you know, I, I it doesn't make me think I'm a bad parent, because they're not as good at basketball as I was. Yeah, not having this pressure for the, the happiness or fulfillment of our child's in our own views as parents, right? And uh, accepting the, the way they go, the journey they engage in. Yeah, so great. And bringing back to the simple aspect of winning and losing, uh, I was reminding myself of Richard Charter. Uh, uh -huh. You told me before the interview that you are familiar with him and I have a, an interview with him in the podcast. And he says regarding this uh, of losing, how many of you agree that the biggest lessons in life came from failure or adversity or disappointment? Because this brings a lot of gems, a lot of learnings in these games. Mm -hmm. So why do we just celebrate winning? And I guess this is also a great uh, point to, to bring. Yeah, oh, for sure. And I, I think it doesn't mean that we need to throw a party every time we lose, nor <laughs> do we need to throw a party every time we win. But I think his point, which is great, is that learning comes through those disappointments. And when you when you succeed at something, it's not just sport, right? I, I, I say most successful people in business have, you know, it's not this like straight road up, but they, they fail and they struggle. And, you know, the companies that are our household names almost went bankrupt many times. Um, <clears throat> I think of that there's a company that, um, I love the story. They were, it was a transportation company and they were down to their last $5,000 in the bank. And the, the founder, the CEO, his name was Fred Smith, I believe. He was in Boston trying to get investment in his company. It, it, he didn't get it. He was supposed to fly back home. Uh, and basically he had a $30,000 fuel bill due on Tuesday. He had $5,000 in the bank. It's Friday. He's like, there's no way we can pay it. I don't know what to do. So he changed his flight. And instead of flying back home to Nashville, he flew to Las Vegas and he played blackjack. And he turned the $5,000 into $50,000 and saved his company. And that company today is called FedEx, right? One of the biggest shipping companies in the entire world, multi-billion dollar company got saved by a good weekend of blackjack in Las Vegas. Right. And, and it's like that struggle, that almost failure 
really affected that company early on of let's take chances. We're developing a new industry. Everyone's telling us this can't work. So let's be gamblers. And and that whole company's great success was founded on this moment of in this moment, it all could blow up. Yeah, so good. And this reminds us we only lose if we lose the lesson there is to win. And yeah, uh, exactly. so there are many moments where parents, uh, again, back to the, the matter for, for our conversation, can have pride in their children, not only for the wins, for the goals they score, for the assists they make, for the perfect tens or whatever. There's no need for this conditional pride because it's an issue. So we can value the struggle moments, we can value the effort, we can value the perseverance, so many other values that are not only attached to winning. Yeah, oh, uh, for sure. And let's face it, even if you do everything right, the chances of making a living as a an athlete are so tiny. Um, so for the vast majority of young children in sports, 99.99%, It's not about going on to become a professional. It's about what can I learn here that I can take to everything else I do in my life, such as, you know, the importance of working hard, the importance of focus, teamwork and working with other people. That's what I'm that's why I put my kids in sport, not to turn pro, but to to learn a lot of things so that when other things face them in life. They know what it was like to work hard for eight years at something to get good at it, right? Uh, that's that to me is is what sport is for for everybody. Yeah, and then so if you good. happen to have win the genetics lottery and have <laughs> enough luck and be born in the right place at the right time, uh, maybe you'll turn pro as well. Wait, excuse me. Before you continue on for the episode, I will just ask you for a review. This is a common request, I know, and I imagine it can be tedious to do so, to divert now, and I am aware you as a listener just want to grow through. However, if you do so on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, it makes an important contribution for EWS growth and for us to keep providing relevant contents for you to actualize your sports practice and mental game. And also for me to be able to continue to bring in great guests. Moreover, each month we randomly select their two winners to receive exclusive material that will assist them reaching their full sporting potential. Also, it is important for me to hear your feedback, so head over there please, the links are in the description as always alongside with the timestamps. See ya! And all this conversation uh, brings us back to your main message in your TED talk, where you say, uh, where you talk about the importance, let's just put it on that way, on the importance of saying, I love watching you play, simply as that, as a parent. And I want to dissect this a little bit more and pointing to a difference between just saying it and feeling it. Uh, mm -hmm. I know it's a hard task and even fanciful to be just here trying to teach one how to love. Uh, but what can you say to parents in order for them to be at least more appreciative towards their child's practice? Well, you know, I certainly take no uh, ownership over telling your kids I love watching you play or sing or sure, sure. <laughs> whatever. Right. That that idea has been around forever. 
Um, but it was sort of my idea worth sharing in the TED Talk. Because again, if the only thing that you're saying to your kids after the game is, I love watching you play, I love watching you compete. Even though it wasn't your best day, I still love the fact that you're out there working hard, trying to get better. Um, it, it Again, to go back to what we talked about in the beginning, it frees them from the burden of thinking that my mom or my dad's happiness depends on how I do in sports. What a burden to place on a child. And so if those words just become sort of your mantra, because I think deep down, that's really what parents tell you. And even the most competitive over the top dad that I've met, when their child is done with sport and they're 18 and they move on, or, you know, right now during COVID, mm -hmm. when in a lot of countries, kids aren't allowed to play, they're not out there or spectators aren't allowed to attend. attend. I have so many parents telling me, God, I miss watching my kids play, All right? This is the thing I miss watching them play. So that's why you're there. So just enjoy that moment. Like why should your child in sport be something that's stressful in your life? There's a lot of things to stress out about it. Like how are you going to pay the mortgage and how are you going to put food on the table and how are you going to save for retirement? Uh, you know, all these sort of things, but stressing out about, um, your kid losing a game seems like it should be really, really low on the list. And so if you just, I've just had so many people tell me, and I talk about this in the Ted talk and give one example, they just tell me like, wow, you know, that changed everything for me. I, I thought that was stupid. I thought it was silly. Um, I thought it was too simple, but you know, when I just see my kid totally relaxed and, and their face light up because I just tell them I love watching you out there. It's great. And that's why, you know, when they ask children, like, who's your favorite person to come watch you play? They usually say my grandparents, right? Because they just love watching you out there, right? They, they, they don't care. They're just happy that you're out there. And, and the kid, kids love when grandma and grandpa come. <laughs> well, what you just heard was something probably easy to understand. But to assimilate this or put it into practice is a harder task for sure. At EWS we aim to translate the theory and mental principles into practice the best way possible. But it all comes down to you. Take a moment to really reflect. Is this good for me? What can I do today to implement it? Again, the keyword practice. How can you translate this into practice? Practice it and go ahead. Keep enjoying the process of efficiently working sports. Again, not putting the pressure, having it as a mantra on the top of the pyramid, above the expectations, the demands, what we want for them, because yeah, that's the, the principle here. Yeah and having this soft inquisitive approach afterwards and with this we have uh, it's like that uh, carl rogers thing of unconditional acceptance and uh, having though that uh, personal value of the child more secured and that's great i love it and and how important that is from a very young age yeah yeah mm -hmm.
And here, I, I guess just to end this, this part, a good question to be asked overall is what one wants uh, his child to get out of the sport experience, as we are talking about. And I ask you a corollary of this. What do you want parents to want to their children to get out of the sporting experiences in training and competition? I think I kind of touched on that, which is to learn a bunch of things that will help them succeed in life. That's what I want as a parent. Um, and I think that's what most people should want. Now, I think this is a great opportunity to talk. You know, we talk about how sport, a lot of people say sport develops character, right? And, and so the, there's, it's important to realize there's two types of character. Um, there's performance character, which is what we tr usually associate with sport, right? And that would be resilience, you know, and grit, perseverance, things like that, right? That working hard at a goal for a long time, overcoming struggle, that's performance character. But then there's another type of character called moral character. And that's things like respect for others. That's integrity, fairness, things like that. And that doesn't happen because you sign up for a sport. That only happens when it's intentionally taught by a coach, by an organization, when it's enforced by a, a school. And so I think it's really, really important that parents realize that just by signing your kids up for a sport is not going to develop their moral character. You have to be, you have to choose what, 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 you're signing them up for because you know in 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 the professional sporting pathway there's a lot of ruthlessness there's a lot of cheating there's a lot of things that you would say you know in real life right if you your child the whole time grows up playing tennis and all you're doing in order to win do whatever you can cheat however you want that's great until you become you know a financial person and and you cheat the stock market and then you end up in jail Right. You know, and well, but my whole life I've been told as long as I win, cheating's okay. And so I think this is a thing that parents have to realize you, you need to be choosy about the coaches. You need to really look into the organizations that you associate your kids with. Because if your long term goal, looking at the journey of sport, is that I want someone who has a lifelong love of activity and has learned to overcome adversity, who's learned to work well with others, who's learned to respect other people, who's become, you know, who's inclusive, all these sort of things. Well, that doesn't happen just because, you know, John teaches you to kick a soccer ball or sure. someone teaches you to hit a tennis ball. You know, you have to find the right programs and the right coaches. I guess that that's good advice. And uh, before jumping to a couple of questions around... Uh the relationship that might appear between parents and coaches precisely. Uh, what should the parent role be in this regard to promote these things that you're talking about? Well, do you, A, do your research. So, you know, make sure you're, you're signing them up for the right place. That's when we need you to be an adult. And then B, um, decide what you value most as a family and reinforce those lessons. Right, reinforce those lessons. So, 
you know, I had a conversation with my son last night because they were playing a scrimmage at practice and um, one of the kids, you know, tripped him off the ball. And he was like taken aback by that. And I said, well, um, you know, how did that make you feel? And, and you know, what, you know, I could say, well, what are you going to do about it? Right. Go punch him in the face. Right. But that's not really what I value is something I'm like, OK, well, how are you going to deal with that situation? And why do you think he might have done that? And uh, maybe he was getting frustrated because you were beating him all the time. And so that was the only way he could lash out back at you. So don't you know, like they're, they're, there's a thing. We have these teachable moments as parents when there's a bad call, when the referee, you know, when there's a bad tackle, when there's an injury and take advantage of those teachable moments in the right way to reinforce what matters to you. That's why, that's where the gold is, I think. Yeah, so good. Thank you for that. And uh, as a coach, because you are a coach too, can you speak in general terms what attributes you find most important in in instilling to young, young athletes like uh, 14 to 18 years old? Yeah, I, I think for me personally, number one, is joy enjoyment it's a sport you're supposed to have fun right so I, i think a lot of kids get to that age that you're talking about and sport becomes a chore sport becomes work yet you know i mean i used to love like watching ronaldinho the brazilian play because he always had a smile on his face it looked like you know it looked like he was playing a game in the park right even though he was playing for barcelona or, or you know the biggest stage in the world he's still smiling and um so for me it always comes back to joy that if there's not joy then why are we even here like there's a lot better ways to spend your time if if you're not having fun and i always say to parents like Think about your own athletic pursuits. They can be hard, right? You can be a weightlifter and have a really hard workout and go, man, this is this sucks right now. But you still enjoy weightlifting, right? You still want to come back tomorrow because it makes you feel good after. And I think about the things that I do from a sporting perspective now that bring me great joy. Um, and then the things that don't bring me joy, like running, I don't run. <laughs> because I have no joy, but I love to cycle, right? I love to ski, uh, you know, uh, and, and so I, I mean, I, I don't even go much beyond that. For my own teams, it's always about joy. It's about competitiveness and it's about family or togetherness. Those are the things that I always try to bring out in my athletes, because if we do this, that's when we're at our best, when we're having fun, when we're competing and focused and, and, and doing that, and when we're treating each other with respect and positive, and I'm trying to make you better, and you're trying to make me look better, that's when we play our best. Yeah, and, uh, which and brings so, cohesion yeah. and uh, just upward yeah. spirals on, on those performance elements that we want to work upon. I think those are preconditions. Oftentimes we think in methods of training and on shooting better, whatever, on the best exercises, and this comes uh, as a preview. Very much so. You know, I, I was listening to some interesting conversations last week. Uh, there was a big, I uh, presented at a soccer coaches convention here in the United States. And I forget who, it was a very big time coach. And I forget, I forget who it was who was talking about this, but What the conversation was around, which I thought was really interesting, is 
as a young player is coming through to make it to the pro team, there's a huge amount of individualism, right? I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. I want to be promoted. Um, but yet when you get to the senior team, all of a sudden it's what can I do for the group? What can I contribute to the team? And so those two things are really opposed, right? So how does an athlete show the enough to get through and yet get to the senior group and then, you know, contribute to the collective because it's the collective that's going to win. And that's where a lot of players fall down and, and, and fall apart. They, they, they can't make that transition and we don't train them how to do that. So I, I think that is something that, that, um, again, we can be better in sport in preparing them in preparing them yeah so good hey you athlete student or worker of some kind we want to know real cases so tell us from what you've heard what have you been missing out what is one idea that popped into your mind while listening feel free to share in the comments so we can assist you further see ya well, John, I've heard you say that success for you as a coach and you want young teams uh, have excitement and wanting to come back for the next season. So I recognize you are a big advocate for perseverance and combating abandonment in sports. Um, so I'd like to have a little bit more on, of your views around that and uh, addressing the COVID situation and the limitations it's bringing uh, on having athletes uh, probably emerging with thoughts of giving up or mm. second thoughts about their practicing. Yeah, well, before COVID, we had a huge dropout rate in sports, right? Here in the United States, we would lose about 70% of children to organize sports by the age of 13. Other countries like Norway are doing much better, right? They have 90 something percent of their children playing organized sports at age 12, 13, 14 here in the United States, it's about 30%. So, sorry, just to clarify that yep. st first statistic, 70% uh, reach the age 12 and drop out or? Yeah, or by the age of 12 or 13, hmm. right? So they drop out sometime between the age of five and the age of 13, right? So three quarters of kids. Um, whereas in other countries, sport is much more inclusive, lots of different ways to try it, less focus on the competition aspect of it and more on the participation aspect of it. Um, so one of the things in sport is we're very good at marketing, right? We're very good at getting people to come in the door, but then so many of them walk right out the back door at the end. And so this is where I think it's so important that we can be more inclusive, understand that not everyone is on this performance pathway. Many people are just on a participation pathway. You know, I, I look at a sport like swimming where, you know, kids come in and they like swimming and they're six and seven. And then all of a sudden they turn eight and they're told, oh, all right, you want to keep swimming. You have to be at the pool five days a week at 6 a.m. And they're like, I don't want to do that. And their parents are like, I don't want to do that. And they walk away from swimming. Yeah, they could swim until they're 90, right? So why would we want them out of swimming, right? We, we need to find ways to say, hey, there's competitive swimming for this sliver, and then there's swimming. Then you just want to show up and swim with your friends. Like, yeah. what's wrong with that? 
you know, my, my kids played music uh, when they were really young. They played piano. And they had a wonderful, wonderful piano teacher. She was incredible. She was amazing. She was like grandma. Um, such a, We're still friends with the family and everything. But the one thing that they didn't really like about it was they just wanted to play piano. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to play in... Uh, you know, recitals. They didn't want to be evaluated to go on to the next level. They just wanted to play. And, um, you know, my brother was a very, very, is a very, very good piano player. And he had a wonderful teacher when he was growing up who never made him do recitals, who, who just said play. And he would give him, you know, this is back in the day where he would record a cassette tape and say, go learn this. And then next week, if he showed up at piano practice and he hadn't practiced, he said, we must have picked the wrong piece of music. And so I saw my kids get burnt out because they were told you have to learn this and then you have to be evaluated this, you know, right now. And that's not what they wanted out of piano. So they walked away. And this was just a, a teacher who had taught a certain way and was the most lovely, lovely person and was so busy that, you know, she's like, you know, I have 10, 15 kids who would take your kid's spot in a heartbeat. So if they don't want to do these evaluations, uh, you know, I can't be their teacher anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so I, I look at this as this is a thing of like, why can't kids just play piano for the love of piano? So my kid, you know, we still have keyboard downstairs and they still sit on it and play and dabble in music and stuff like that. To me, that's that's what it's for, right? They were never going to play in Carnegie Hall. That's not what piano was in their life, right? But they love music. And and so I think sport, we do that as well. We say, if you're not on the path to the first team, we don't have a spot for you here anymore. <laughs> yeah, but that's what we hear. And it's like welcoming that competitive drive and maybe there are circumstances to instill it uh, or at least encouraging it maybe that's a better word but embracing the recreational aspects of practicing also yeah totally that's that's great well uh, to finish John this is a common big question and might be a cheesy one but uh, let's go for this for someone who is in a really bad period with himself in regards to their sport practice, whether he or she is hopeless or helpless, what would be for you the number one thing you would like to say to him or her for efficiently work sport, EWS? Mm. You know, people getting that in that situation for a number of reasons, right? Sometimes it's an injury. Right. And you're looking at a nine month recovery and, and you say, huh, yeah, I just can't do it. I, I can't do the rehab again. I can't do whatever. Um, so I always I, I always have liked the advice on a scale of one to ten. One means I can't quit fast enough. And ten means it's the only thing in my life I want to do. Where are you on that scale? Right. And someone who's thinking about quitting is usually a two or a three, right? Because if they were one, they already would have quit. They wouldn't have even asked, right? But if they're asking you or they're they're feeling frustrated, they're that two or three or four, right? They're like, well, a lot of things aren't going right. And so what I always say to them is, okay, so you're a, you're a three right now and you're feeling like quitting. 
what would make it a four, right? What would get you to five right now? And, and then now they start thinking, well, you know, I've just, uh, I'm coming off this injury and I'm really, really frustrated because I'm just not as good as I was and everyone else has gotten better and I'm worse and I'm not good enough on this team. Okay. Or they might say, you know, the team dynamic is really, really bad and everyone's really negative and it's just not fun to be here anymore because it's clicky. This happens a lot, right? And so that makes them want to quit. My mom and dad are putting so much pressure on me, um, right? And then there's kids who maybe want to quit. They're in a bad space because they're saying, I don't have time in my life, right? My studies are really important to me and I have to get a job and I play two sports and I like this one a little better. Well, maybe that's a good time to say, I got to, you know, put more eggs in this basket. So it's a hard question to answer in general, right? Because you really have to get at the reasons. And so I always like that scale of one to 10. Why? Why are you feeling like you're a three? What would make it a four? What would get you to five? What would get you to six? Right. And, and, and then if there's things that you can influence as a parent, as a coach, um, you know, if you've got a young tennis player who wants to quit because their coach is driving them insane and is cruel and mean, right? They don't hate tennis. They hate their coach, right? So find them a new coach who re, you know, brings back joy in the sport. You know, that, that's my advice, right? At least for the, the parent. And then for the athlete, you can ask yourself that question and write down, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. here's all the things that are bad about this. And here's all the things that are good about this. Have an internal process and believing that there's space for uh, a reappraisal, uh, have a reappraisal of uh, what we are, what the, the child is not feeling well with, believing that. Yeah. And, and reviewing you know, the reasons. I mean, as you know, from your studies, right, the, the most powerful voice in sport is our own, right? Our own internal dialogue, that self-talk that says, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Why am I here? I don't belong here. Or the one that says, I got this. Um, and so recognizing what that internal dialogue is and training ourselves to change it if it's not helpful. Because if the voice we hear in our head is always a negative one, and yes, that's influenced by parents and influenced by coaches, um, you can change that voice. You can change that voice for sure. So good, John. I love watching you speak here. <laughs> and just to finish, tell us and our audience what you have been up to and more globally. Well, like everyone, I'm not getting on airplanes anymore. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work virtually, teaching at conferences and uh, things like that, doing some individual work with coaches. Um, you know, I published a coaching book called Every Moment Matters just over a year ago. And so still been doing a lot around that. Um, and that book's been doing really well, which has been exciting. And then I just put pen to paper. I, I decided that I wanted to write like a really, you know, short and sweet how to coach youth soccer book. Right. And and it's not 50 pages of, of drills and activities. It's about kind of the stuff we talked about here today. Right understand why you coach, understand how kids learn, understand why they're there, right? And then understand what an effective session looks like. And then here's some examples. And so I creating this like little workbook that grassroots coaches can, can get 
that is just, you know, hey, I'm volunteering for three months to coach my son, my daughter's team. Um, you know, here's a little rather than a PDF of a bunch of drills that I have no idea why I was handed these activities versus something else. Understand what's going to make this a great environment because the kids aren't going to come back next year because you had perfect drills. They're going to come back because they had fun. They had great team dynamics and that you were a positive coach. Again, and boom. no one ever tells people that. So that's my newest project. It's so good. Uh, I wish you all the best with that. And every moment matters. The last book of yours, you have some excerpts there on your podcast, The Way of Champions. I can't emphasize enough also for people to have a listen to. You bring in some amazing guests from uh, various domains, as we do here at EWS. So that's great work. I wish you all the best and thank you very much, John. Thank you for having me on. This was great. Thank you for listening to this EWS interview. To see more, go to ewsport.eu. If you want to open up a discussion about some topic address, reach out by commenting below or leave a message at ewsport.eu. Hope you enjoyed. See you on the next one. I remind you that you can write a comment right there on some podcast apps, on our Instagram at ewsport.eu, or even by sending a quick voice message on the clickable link I leave right at the end of this episode description. If you prefer to stay anonymous, this is a good option. All simple and free. So take the time to do so, and take a step to be closer of efficiently work your sports practice. Until then, take care.